Welcome to Breaking Good, the officially unofficial podcast for Breaking Bad on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 1, titled No Moss. Uh, I'm happy to be back in my favorite universe here, my favorite show. We're going back for Moss. Fuck the title. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, Jumping ahead to 305, Moss, baby, Moss. Yep, and we're kind of back to, uh, you know, after Game of Thrones went off the air, we lost a full recap show, so we're back to that. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you want to do before we get into this? It also, like, you know, Breaking Bad still feels summery. You know, most, summery? most yeah. of the stuff went down in, in the summers and mm-hmm. it kind of, you know, it's it's July, getting a little bit of itch, uh, time, time to break this thing wide open. And yeah, and close it out, too. This is it. This, this is the fine. This cover. is for I mean, I can't predict the future, but for all intents and purposes, this is going to be our final installment in the Breaking Bad universe. Now, Better Call Saul marches on. Yep. You know, who knows what what machinations or spinoffs and stuff might cause us to revisit this. But, yeah, this is going to be our our, (laughs) our last definitive take on this. Uh, Also, a little programming note. We're going to be actually recording these two at a time because our schedule gets pretty full in August. Uh, You know, with the Fear the Walking Dead and some of the other stuff coming back on. And then it starts, you know, the fall madness will start. So we want to kind of get most of these done and in the can uh, in advance, but we're going to be spooling them out once a week. So if you want to get, if you're if you're in the mood for a marathon and you want to send us notes as you get them, we can take them. Uh, please put in your subject line the episode number or the title that they're applicable to, and I will do my best to lasso them and uh, put them in the feedback as it makes sense. All right, and where do they send that feedback? Uh, breaking good at ballmove.com, as always, and there should be uh, forum threads for every one of the episodes up as well that you can participate at forums.baldmove.com. I'll probably be patrolling the uh patrolling the forums for that too. Because okay. we're usually, you know, on, on all of the retrospective stuff, it's it's lighter feedback than you yeah. get on your your mainline mm-hmm. current release type shows. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Makes sense. All right. How about recap time? Uh yeah, I wanted to cover a couple things here. First, this was directed by Brian Cranston, who you'll recall yeah. uh, also directed the season premiere of last season. And there's a lot of good stuff that we'll be weaving into our coverage about Brian's involvement. It was written by Vince mm-hmm. Gilligan. This is the Alpha and the Omega, uh, as far as writer and director. You know, you got yeah. the two most recognizable. <laughs> fa- I mean, un- unless Aaron Paul would write an episode that Brian would direct, that's that's as as visible. <laughs> you know, OG Breaking Bad as you can get, right? Sure. Yeah, I think they should have Vince Gilligan acting. They should have <laughs> Michelle McLaren writing, and they should have Brian Cranston uh, directing. Uh, well, Vince Gilligan's car appears in this episode. Is that close enough? Close enough, yep. All right, a little mm-hmm. bit of a uh, little slice of the, the, the Vince. Does it have a big mustache on the front? It does not. Damn it. It does not. Um, also, you know, I started this whole breakfast count. Mm-hmm. As a way to, and I can't remember, maybe it was D or somebody else on the forums that said, you know, everyone talks about Walt Jr. being the Galactus of breakfast, and he just inhales all the stuff. Goes, I think it's actually he turns down as many breakfasts as he accepts an episode. And I'm like, challenge accepted. I want to win this running away. Mm-hmm. I'll be damned if he has not offered uh, multiple waffles that he does not accept, and the waffle that's on his plate is untouched. Yeah. Not so much as buttered or syruped, and no. he bails out. <laughs> so our breakfast counts as seven breakfasts consumed mm-hmm. with 11 offered. Now, that 11 has got an asterisk because we've there's a big debate about whether he was, in fact, offered an omelet, mm-hmm. a legit offer. He was already out the door when the offer was made. 
<laughs> I would submit that if he's a breakfast hound, we we said he'd be, he'd be like, omelet? And he'd turn back around. But yeah, ears perk up. At the most charitable reading, I'm at seven out of 11 or seven out of 10 pessimistic, seven out of 11. It's shocking. Yeah, it is. I mean, I wouldn't think like a, I don't know, two to three ratio would be the case here. That seems like, yeah, he's turned down a lot of breakfast for the Galactus of breakfast. Yes. Like, Galactus is not big on, like, usually there's an intergalactic battle. You have to have cosmic beings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Superman has to get the power, or Superman, Jesus. Uh, Superman has to come in from DC and join with Spider-Man, who has got the power cosmic, and repel them. Reed Richards has to make his dick super long. I mean, it's not it's not a small thing to repel Galactus when he wants to chow down on your planet. Mm. Sure. You don't just distract him with, like, a personal issue or being bummed out about his dad. All right. Well, we might have to change his title by the end of this. We'll see. Yeah. We'll I don't see know how it goes. What would be the Marvel appropriate? Maybe he's the Blade. He's the Blade of breakfast because, you know, Blade, every once in a while he'll, he'll drink human blood mm-hmm. when it's dramatically appropriate. But most of the time he abstains. He's the yeah, Blade of as breakfast. As much as he can, you know? Not sure if there's a better Marvel fit for this, but uh, I'm going to go with the Blade of breakfast. But let's get into the recap. We start off in Mexico with a bunch of people crawling along a dirt road. I have no idea what's going on here. Two guys in suits pull up. They step out of their fancy Mercedes, and they start crawling across the ground uh, where they they find a shack with uh, some some saint of death stuff in it, uh, some religious symbols and all that. And Santa Muerta. They place a drawing of Heisenberg on the altar. Mm-hmm. That's with kind a of a fat stack of pesos. I didn't see those. You didn't? No, no. they, they, Did they slapped do that? some. Yeah, it's because they were leaving offering, offering so they the, put uh-huh. fat stacks of cash offered to the god of death. What does God need with money? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So this is a really hey that that skeleton doesn't get the bling. That's you know, true. Just begging. Yeah, the tribute rolls in. The stones are costly. Uh, this this is a cool cold open. I felt it's yeah. very confusing. It's it's sort of disorienting, like the cold open last season was in in two hundred one. Uh, with the teddy bear in the pool and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I've done a lot of research into Santa Muerta stuff, yeah. um, most recently because of True Detective. Uh, but I remember watching this and just thinking, what the fuck? You know, you see this old man crawling around. It's like, you know, did someone shoot him? You how know, far has he crawled? How, and then you see this Mercedes and, and these people are kind of, you know, these two dudes that are like in this sharp suit and they're looking serious and they just drop their knees and start crawling. Fast crawlers. They start yeah. at the, the tail mm-hmm. end of the pack, and by the time they get to the shack, they'd outcrawled all every one of these sons of bitches. No. To be fair, they look the most able-bodied. That's true. They're they're in good shape, whereas these other people are, you know, years of working the hard earth, you know? Plus, these boots seem like it's their, you know, Mexican <laughs> cartel calling card. So maybe people got uh, a, you know, a little glint of, like, who the fuck is this upstart trying to out... Oh. <laughs> Oh, I see the Maybe skulls I slow on the boots. Down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gimp off a little and bit. Also, and also, they got to give you a little traction in the dirt, right? That's true. You those, dig those tips in there. They're like mini cleats. Yeah, you can, yeah. you can crawl <laughs> like the wind. Uh-huh. Uh huh. World War II, I think they were using those too to, to do, what? What do they call that crawl? Commando crawl, right? Commando crawl, army crawl. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Commando crawl. Okay. Anyway, they've perfected it. But the Mercedes they pulled up in is actually Vince Gilligan's ride. I learned that from the, the Breaking okay. Bad Insider podcast. And it wasn't right. for any falutin reason. It's just like they needed a car and yeah. apparently he had driven out there. So bada bing. Bada and they boom. didn't have to blow this one up. Yeah. No, no broken windshields. Yeah. So. Brian tried, but they said no no. <laughs> um but no, I, it's it's interesting that you know, Santa Muerta is like kind of like quasi Catholic that 
that the Catholic Church would rather just disavow. Uh-huh. But it's really important to these particular people in Mexico and Southwest United States. Um, it's not necessarily like a criminal, like, you know, El Jefe, they talked about in the previous, the, was it the Val? I forget what the guy's name was, the patron saint of drug dealers. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. that quite tied to the underworld, although, you know, clearly it's important to those people too. But like, I guess a lot of people that work at night or dangerous jobs, like I guess policemen, nurses, taxi cab drivers, but uh, it's like they're the, the, the people that work at nights, like, you know, they're in danger of nighttime danger. Um, and also the other thing that's about uh, Santa Muerta is like, you know, most saints only uh, provide you like, you know, they'll, they'll grant miracles that are actually in keeping with the Christian faith. Where I guess one of the legends of Santa Muerta is that she's a saint that's in purgatory Mm -hmm. and she like grants miracles like, you know, you know, just she's just paying out fat sacks of miracles all the time because she's trying to earn her way in heaven. And she's not so careful about checking the purpose of the miracle Hmm. is the flavor. She's a little rule bender. I'm seeing like flaws in her reasoning there. Like I think so. God, God certainly judges. Yeah. It's it's like, oh, you got you got a million miracles. But then when the audit. Uh-huh. When St. Peter starts auditing at the pearly gates, you're going to be right back in purgatory. Yeah. So, so I, that's what they're there for, right? They're they're requesting maybe not necessarily a miracle in order to get Walter White, but a, good luck. Yeah, a, a blessing on their mission. Yeah, they're they, they're wanting to kill a man, so seeing the saint yeah. of death seems like a good way to get that get that's that off reasonable. a good start. They do need a doggy door on this place, though. Like, right? You can just crawl right into the building instead of standing up. And then you front. can you can and, and you just you just stand up and and you know walk into the Saint of Death's shrine all haughty and proud. No, yeah, no. You, yeah I, I'm with you. A doggy door, a commando <laughs> door, yeah, is what they need, or also, like a, a Dutch door. Only leave the bottom half open. There you go. Perfect. Uh, and it would clothesline anybody who tries to walk That's in. That's so right, even better. It's sealed shut yeah. at the top. Uh, this scene is really, really orange. And I know we've mentioned colors uh, a lot with Breaking Bad. I don't necessarily know exactly what the orange means. I felt like it was danger um, at some point for Hank. Well, I saw an interview with Michael Slovis, and I guess that was an intentional stylistic choice, that anytime the cousins are in an outdoor scene, they're going to yeah. brown-orange filter to shit out of Oh, it. they did. The sky was orange. I mean, the first shot. Yeah. The, the entire sky is orange. It looked like the whole scene had been bronzed like a baby shoe. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was cool. Like It was a little unsettling, yeah. It, uh, it gives it a feeling. A little Michael Mann, like everything's mm-hmm. permanently the magic hour. Okay, but yeah. I I for I also think it makes it look like big budget. I was reading an article where like you know Breaking Bad, especially season two, season three, was not a huge budget show, mm-hmm. and I, I think some of these tricks make it look like it's uh, uh you know some of this post processing stuff or pre processing, however the hell they do it, does a long way towards making it seem like it's a much bigger budget show. Some of the camera tricks yeah. and stuff they do just make it seem oh, more yeah. high concept yeah. and 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 interesting. Yeah, I think it looks more interesting than maybe any other show on TV, unless you go to like a Game of Thrones, which has, you know, some of the same directors, some of the same writers on stuff. Yeah. I feel, I and feel they like do that's... a lot of like, there's some of the stuff that's the more interesting avant-garde stuff on television, I feel like you, like they do a lot of cool things on American Horror because that's kind of like their thing. Mm, like Penny okay. Dreadful has some like just jaw dropping sets and they do a lot of manipulation of color and stuff too. But yeah. yeah, like if you're just talking about mainstream drama, 
it's not controversial to say Breaking Bad is one of the best looking, <laughs> visually interesting shows in in the last ten years. Sure. So then we we go to the intro, and then we get news reports of about this mid air collision that happened at the end of last season, uh, kind of ending on Donald Margolis, uh, Margolis rather, uh, and we pull out kind of from Walt's TV here where these news reports are going on. And we see he's been doing a lot of intense research on this crash. Um, That plays into the episode a little bit later on uh, when he's talking with Jesse and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think we'll save a lot of the discussion till then. Yeah. I mean, for, I think that it's interesting that the Walt draws the opposite conclusion because I think the chain of blame is made pretty explicit in this news coverage that it's like, it's this one guy who did it. Mm And he did it because his daughter died. And why did his, like, you start unpeeling this layer. But yeah, I'm I'm fine with doing that later. Okay. Uh, Walt's then throwing... What'd you think of uh, uh, Delancey's stock photo? His disheveled... Uh, like, that's a Nick Nolte level. look? That's a Nick Nolte level mugshot. <laughs> his hair, yeah. His hair is a little messy in that shot. He's still got a, you know, nice sweater, nice shirt. It's, it's the hang dog. It's the, <laughs> you know, he, he just looks like he went on all night for a bender or something. Yeah. Maybe he was up for two hours, two days straight. I don't he's, know. He's in the throes of sadness, too, right? Depression. He's mm, That's my favorite prog metal band. <laughs> in the throes of depression. <laughs> throes of sadness. Throes of sadness. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the throes good. of sadness. Uh, so Walt's outside in the throes of sadness, throwing matches into his pool when he decides he's going to burn all his money that he made from manufacturing meth. And he's kind of in the middle of this process, uh, got a stack of money burning in his, his barbecue. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know what? I've made a mistake. <laughs> and he puts it all out by dumping it in the pool along with himself. Sure. He goes in cause his sleeve catches fire. Uh, I thought it was in some cool, like, symbolism here with you know walt this is his reflecting pool of guilt and, and yes. or, or, or his reflecting mm-hmm. pool and he just throw you know he, he sees these chemical reactions and he's he, the, the transformation and he's throw him in yep. the water then he throws a cash in and then that has infected himself and he has to throw himself in uh-huh which is yeah. a really funny scene him setting himself on fire but also i think it fits in you know uh, thematically with all those themes as well that now and he it totally himself feels... is being thrown in I'm with you, and and it totally feels like a natural response. Like, you know, I can see a guy looking at this money saying, this is the source of all my problems. Look what I've done to my family. Um, They've left me. I need to get rid of this, and maybe I can go back to a normal existence. And then right in the middle, like, I remember watching this for the first time thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. You are going to instantly regret this. And then he did. And I felt like that makes total sense. That's the great thing about Breaking Bad is a lot of times when you as an audience are having a thought that normally is yeah. just completely one-sided. Like when you're like, Jesus Christ, Walking Dead, I cannot believe this is happening. <laughs> Breaking Bad likes to just bring that you into the room with them and like, yep, that's exactly. In fact, now Walt's having that thought. I feel like it's just because they understand their characters better. Yeah, and they can play. Like they have they can concrete sub- characters and, a, and an arc for them. Yeah. And like That leads naturally to an end game, you know? Yeah. But I mean, this, you know, this is the pool that's had dead bodies and burnt uh-huh. bears and Walt Jr. Throwing up in it. I mean, <laughs> now, and now Walt is adding himself into that, you know, ethical morass of stew that he's, mm. he's cooking in there. Good stuff. Skylar's talking with an attorney about getting a divorce and the attorney asks her about their living arrangements and about Walt's finances. And she says, You'd be surprised what I've seen 
you know, spouses keep from each other, something to that effect. Waka, waka, waka. Yeah, and we know, you know, what's going through Skyler's head here. It's, uh, we, we see it come out later in the episode. Sure. But, uh, but then she, we go. She wants it to be quick and easy. She, like, she just wants it to be done, right? I, like, yeah, I mean, there's, it's interesting how there's a lot of similarities between Walt and her, as many as there are, are, are differences, but they both kind of have. I'm trying to th- I'm I'm struggling to put my finger on exactly what it is, but they're both kind of in denial about certain mm-hmm. things that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Like she wants a quick and easy divorce that but she also doesn't want to involve any of his criminal involvement. You know, she wants yeah. to keep that that's well, if if Walt is going along with it, that's easy enough, but like you can kind of see the warning bells of the lawyer here. She's like is well does your husband agree to that? Yeah, and it doesn't end there, you know. I mean, it's it extends to her family as well. Because all it takes is one asshole in a divorce to make it messy and painful and gross. I it doesn't. Imagine. You don't need two. That makes it even worse. But one yeah. person can make it a fucking living nightmare. Hmm. And do you think Walt's the kind of stiff neck son of a bitch that will do something like that? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that. That's kind of uh, the, the direction we're going to. So <laughs> quick and easy. Not sure you're going to get mm. that, Skyler. So we go back to Walt. But this is a good time to talk about our spoiler policy, which is okay. we don't we're watching the show as if we do not know what comes next. Um, and we will have a spoiler section where we talk about for people that have already seen the episode. Uh, we'll talk about some of the themes and stuff that we thought is interesting from the episode as a whole. Yeah. So if this is your first time joining us, don't don't panic. We're not going to drop big spoiler bombs on you. Yep. Uh, we go back to Walt. He's just finished cleaning up the money mess he made in the pool. When Hank shows up to help him move his stuff out of the house, he grabs a bag that Walt doesn't want to let go of because we know it has all of his cash in it. And when Hank asks what's in it, Walt tells him half a million in cash. And he thinks it's a joke. I love this scene. I I really remember liking this scene the first time I saw it and watching it again. It was just as good. Uh, The way that pulling the eyeball out of the skimmer was really awesome, too. It is. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's, you know, a token of the kind of guilt that Walt feels. Sure. Um, yeah, a reminder of what he did. Uh, but I, I really like just how brazen he is with, with this idea that he almost doesn't care that he, that if he's going to get caught at this point, right? Like, yeah, in, in some ways, like his family's leaving him. He feels like the money is the root cause of everything. But he's tough too, because I, I don't know, because you could also say that, he he's got a devil may care attitude, but also his best defense is probably hiding in plain sight as he always has. Yes, like that's true, and and this works because they set up such a great job of making him this schmuck uh-huh. that is unassuming, <laughs> and his brother like just doesn't no one take, would ever suspect. No, and, and for him to pull that as like this really dry humor, mm-hmm. uh, I think it works, and it's also. Man, Hank comes so close so many times to blowing this thing wide open. Like, what if instead of saying, what do you got in here? If you just like, you know, because I can see. Yeah, uh, slid the zipper open. Yeah, brother-in-law Hank, this is the guy who has emasculated him in his own home, who's tried to butt into his. Like, that wouldn't be the biggest violation of Walt's dignity to just be like, take a peek. And like, what kind of series would we have if, yes, you you do have a half a million duffled up here? (laughs) A much shorter one, I guess. (laughs) Uh, It's. It's weird. I though the one thing I'm not sure about is why he's like no heavy lifting here. I think it's because of the I cancer mean, restriction, right? He 
Really? I mean, he just got done having a low his having his, an operation. His I lung guess, taken yeah. half out. So his lungs taken out. Well, I mean, half I a lobe. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe that's that's a thing. But wh- why does Walt leave this bag till the end? That's the thing. I mean, that's a, a that's a scene serving. Yeah, device obviously. Let's say you just it's your private dildo. man. It's, I would put that in my car immediately. Yeah, you're moving into your private dildo collection. That's sure. the first thing you that move. Goes in it goes right in your car. Mm-hmm. You handle it before even probably people get there. You yeah. don't leave it for last. That's how I do it. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> yeah yeah. So next scene is uh, Jesse planting flowers at the rehab center and having his first group therapy session where he's just kind of zoned out. Um. Anything you want to talk about here? Yeah, first appearance of Jerry Burns. It is, yeah. Uh, who has become kind of like a bald moon favorite with his uh, Win Duffy portrayal Justified. on Justified. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I mean, this is this guy who's going to preach self-acceptance and, and, and not to be a better person, which is interesting. I think it goes to really interesting places in this episode. Also, mm-hmm. I thought it was ironic that Jesse's plus planting flowers at the rehab joint, which itself looks like a flower pot. All right, kind of, yeah. A big vase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, not not really, except for Jerry Burns is awesome. Okay. Then we go to Walt, or sorry, Skyler, um, arriving home with Junior, and he is angry. Uh, he wants his dad to pick him up. He he decides not to eat breakfast, all that sort of stuff. The boy's off his food. That's something wrong. Yeah, you know something's wrong when he's not eating breakfast. Yeah, and he's clearly pissed at his... He He's... Putting the blame, and that I, that seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Your dad uh, has got cancer, and you've got a new sister, and everything. But you know, then it seems like he's in remission, and you know everything's are is is happy. And then your mom just kicks him out. Like, is my dad really having an affair with like near terminal lung cancer? This has got to be very weird. It just makes Skylar out yeah. to be an unmitigated bitch, and she cannot defend herself in any way. Why doesn't Walt say anything? Like, if you're junior and you're looking at this and you're saying, mom kicked him out, she won't say anything, why won't Walt say anything? I think that's a brilliant thing. Like, I mean, Walt's not going to tell him, well, I'm a drug dealer, junior. Of course, of course. But even things like if you say, you know, you can't can't take this out on your mother, this is an issue. Like, taking the high road is essentially confirming the suspicion of Walt that his mom's being a bitch. Because hmm. unless he's telling the root of why he got kicked out, which he's not going to do, yeah. like I said, taking the high road looks exactly like you know being a martyr. And I think you know Walt Jr. is going to sympathize with him over his mom. Hmm. Like it's really brilliant in a Machiavellian way that Walt can say all the right things and further instigate. Like the the, and that's that was entirely appropriate. Like if. Let's let's say this is just how it is. If Skyler's up and fed up with Walt's bullshit, she's tired of having this wrinkly old cancer man in her home, and she wants uh-huh. to, you know, uh, start an exciting new milf career. Uh, Walt takes the high road, and Junior figures out which one is the shit bag, and you know, uh, he, he takes a couple years of therapy, but you know, life goes on. The crucial thing is Skyler won't say. Neither sure. will Walt. So. It makes her look really terrible. Yeah, by default, certainly. Um, and and that's where I start to feel bad for Skylar. Yeah, right. Because she 
she's doing Walt a favor here by not saying anything. And granted, she has her reasons as well. Like, she doesn't want to break up this family entirely. She doesn't want her kids to think that her father is, uh, their father is a dirtbag, drug dealing yeah. son of a bitch. What do you think if Walt, is there, like, so, so what, what could Walt have said? Well, could, uh, could my Walt point said, is she's stuck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what, what the hell is she going to do? Yeah, she's at Walt's mercy. I mean, could Walt have said something like, look, Junior, I did something really terrible to your mother and I betrayed her trust and she's just found out about it and I can't go into that. If, because... if he were, I, I think if he were a little more, you, you know, wanting to help Skylar along in this transition a little bit more, sure, he could. Yeah. But he doesn't accept the fact that the need to do this. He sees this yeah. as a massive overreact because he's out. And a temporary. He's out. A temporary thing too, right? Yeah, he got out. I mean, in his mind, which is kind of bizarre when you're talking about all this, you know, flight crash and all that stuff, which, you know, uh, I as a Breaking Bad fan, I was still reeling. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of watching skeptical of season because this is one of the first golden age television shows I've seen. So I just assume that TV shows are good and then they have kind of their prime and then they jump to shark and then they <laughs> become irrelevant and then they get canceled. That's how shows go, right? Yeah. So I was very open to the idea that like they had an awesome season one, awesome season two. They couldn't think of a hook for season three, and they had the plane crash, and it's just going to be shitty from now on. And a lot mm. of these things were kind of confirming. Like, I sometimes, yeah, I get this fantasy of what happens if the Wayfarer flight never happened because this is so heavy handed. This hundred and sixty seven bodies, or however many it was, laid at Walt's feet. Yeah, it's you know, if the show had worked better, where we come to these conclusions more organically and naturally about him because right now it's like it's it's hard for me to for to believe that walt is this up his own ass that he just will refuse to take responsibility for it this early in his criminal career for this much heinous shit yeah i mean i'm i'm mostly with you i feel like this is a man who has personally killed people right i mean he he's walked into drug dealers hideouts and blown shit up he's personally strangled a man to death but in ways where it's kind of them or him or them kind of yes that's true that's true yeah i don't know he's he has never wanted to take responsibility for anything in his life really yeah right he he didn't like he blew up the whole thing with gretchen and elliot over some minor triviality as far as i can tell sure um he didn't want to take any responsibility and continue down the path that he was on. And so instead he let things fester and he caused his family a lot of hardship. It's a guy who doesn't want to take responsibility for his actions at all. So I, I kind of think it's within his character to like, once he moves into doing bigger and more harmful stuff, still maintain that attitude. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to argue that when you say it's within his character, because yes, that is absolutely true. However, I sometimes wonder dramatically if it wouldn't have been better to yeah. pump the brakes on that shit a okay. little bit. Because they went like from zero to Bond villain. You know, <laughs> I, I get it's all intentional. He didn't know that was going to happen. But again, the chain of blame is pretty unassailable at this point. Yes. Uh, that, I don't know. That's that's the feeling I've got that I, I wish that that had happened so we could maybe debate the morality. Because then, you know, having said that, there's still people that ride or die for Walt 
towards the, even at the end of the run of yeah. Breaking Bad. And there's people that turned on him as soon as he turned down, you know, the the easy pity money from the Gretchen, the from Schwartz, the mm-hmm. Schwartzes. Yep. So like people are all over that side, but I think I don't know. You might have a more sweeter bell curve if you didn't have such a defining, <laughs> amoral act or a, amoral consequences here. Gotcha. Uh, how about him cutting the crust off his sandwiches? He's the sandwich perfectionist. Um, yeah. No he, bit of crust on his sandwich. So, you know, we've talked about this in the spoiler sections that, um, and now we can just talk about it openly, that you know, this clearly seems to be something that he's picked up from someone he's, you know, he's he's picked up a little bit of the aspect of Crazy 8. Yeah. The cutting of the, the crust off, because that was an affectation that he had. But I also noticed that he seemed to be compulsive about it. Like it's got to be perfect. And he kept slicing it away. And then he, then he looked down and kind of looked dismayed at how little sandwich was left. Is there also some thematic thing about him slicing away aspects of himself? Could be like, Could be. you know, in this Jesse, I know I'm the bad guy. Walt, Complete denial and like you know, there's a whole uh, that that's saying about a man who tailors himself to suit others will soon be left naked because, you mm. know, you just keep cutting away at your ass to, to, to make sure that you're pleasing to everybody. Is is Walt falling into a little bit of that trap? And is the sandwich a bit of a metaphor for that? I like it. I like it. I wasn't <laughs> thinking it, but I like it. All right. There you go. Uh, then he gets a text that says, Poyos. Poyos. And we know what that means. Chicken. Head over to the chicken man. <laughs> it literally means chicken. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also code for something greater. Uh-huh. Uh, we now go to the assembly at, at Walt's school, and he's back in action as a teacher. And they're there to kind of understand and mourn and get over this plane crash. What? Here's again another scene I'm not a big fan of. Um, Is it the speech? Is it the speech he gives that makes everybody feel worse? Well, I mean, so that part of it I felt was cringeworthy for for very valid reasons and reasons that they were intended, but like having the one jackass stand up and say, I think we should all get easy A's. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's just really compassionate. It's like, it's, you know, my, one of my big pet beeves are just weird tonal shifts and breaking bad has always been on the sweet side of that. Being able to blend dark black comedy with, with serious drama. I don't know I need that teenage jackass, you know, standing up and, you know, that's like, I don't know, something out of. Yeah, I I don't know that I needed it. In fact, I'll say I don't I I didn't like it. Hmm. I didn't like it. And then the whole like, you know, it's like broadly the joke of like, let's keep it secular here. Like, would a principal really say that? And the minister of a safe space grieving session, there's just some of the shit that didn't ring true to me. Walt coming up and saying all that mess about minimizing and how you got to look on the bright side. That I makes thought, perfect sense. And it kind of plays as very black humor in a way that the other stuff didn't. Maybe the other stuff just suffers from the fact that it's not coming out of Brian Cranston's mouth. Well, it also it serves to show exactly what's going on in his head, right? It's not it's not just this general idea of Walt not accepting it, but he has built up a case in his head as to why this isn't such a big deal. Oh, it's only the 50th most severe air crash ever. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, no this, one on the ground died. Yeah, that, it could have been worse. It could have yeah. been way worse. So he's justifying it to himself. And also, like, let's let's talk about the worst air crash that killed 500-some <laughs> people, this Tenerife thing. Uh, no one remembers it. Did you remember it? No. because are going to forget what I did. Because people move on. That's what humans do. We survive and we overcome. Yeah. So that was good. 
I wish they'd just gone right to that. Like, but I don't, I don't know how you set that up as a writer. Yeah. You just have Cameron giving some kind of speech and then. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, and, and, and right because it to... seems like they could have done that. Like, and you know, as a, um, uh, maybe she'd go to Walt as a person that has a perspective on life and death because he just got, you know, that was part of the yeah. backdrop is welcome Mr. White back to the faculty. Cause he's been gone a long time. Yeah. Um, this is also the first scene where I started noticing Walt dressing like the villain from Unbreakable. <laughs> okay. You know, he's got the purple pants and the black. Uh-huh. He's, he's, this is not season one, Walter White. This is yeah. not season two, the, the, the topes and the beiges. This is him starting to take on a bit of an edge, even as he's running away from his criminality. Yeah, it's strange because he, he starts off this episode kind of in his normal, uh, very bland, tan attire. Right. And then he, he transitions at the school to that. It's the start of the transition. Yeah, yeah. He, his his color palette changes. I'm not yeah. sure exactly why at that moment. Right. And, you know, again, does. I'm not a big, oh, purple and black, this means something. But I think thematically, yes, it is definitely a starting of a shift in his character. Well, let's shift over to the cousins again. They're visiting a house in the desert where they change clothes and they leave the family with their car and then just walk off into the desert. I mean, why not? It's Vince's car. It doesn't cost them anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was... I kind of like this scene. I don't know. There's there's a lot I don't like about the cousins. Yeah, like, I, I honestly, I don't know I make it through this episode if they killed that little girl <laughs> or shot up the place. Just like, yeah. come on. Like, fucking these people are like Maleficent. You know, they're just like this completely evil force. Mm-hmm. But the fact that... You know, all it seems like I, I kind of got on to the whole like, OK, this guy is respecting them and respecting how dangerous they are. Yeah. And like that's I guess that's how you deal with like a godfather type figure or a son, you know, like a son. Respect. Yeah. He's yeah. like, uh, they're going to do whatever the hell they're going to do. If I just am super deferential to them and and let them maybe it'll go. I'll get a, a rug out of it or a Mercedes or something. But if I come up there, hey, you can't take my clothes, I'm going to get put in a hole. You could try to stand in direct opposition to them, I guess, if you think you're that Well, yeah, that like tough. if you're if you're an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh-huh. or, you know, to a lesser extent, uh, uh, P- uh, Steven Seagal, then, yeah, maybe you, <laughs> you, 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 you roll tough on them. Yeah. But if you're just a Joe Schlub making your way out in the desert... You Not know, much you can do. Uh, you know, best case scenario. I mean, worst case scenario, you're dead anyway. But your best case scenario is just to let them do what they're going to do, and you may get a Mercedes out of the deal. Yep. I don't like that moral message, but yeah, you give you it's you're getting mugged. You give the criminal your wallet. <laughs> Life is a series of choices. Yes. And this is a moment where you have to make one. Yes. Do you want to die over that clothesline <laughs> of shitty clothes? Yeah, and have your family killed too. You know, it's not. It's not mm-hmm. like this guy's just gonna stand up to them and they're gonna kill him. No, they got to kill the witnesses as well. But uh, yeah, I like the fact that they're. It it's not a complete, just unreasonable, unthinking, almost act of God type force you're dealing with. Yeah, in in so many other ways, they're caricatures. Yes, they're over the top. That I'm I'm glad there is some grounding. I mean, in this episode, this is potentially between that and them crawling through the patron saint of death. This is really the only bits of character that we get from them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're not going to get any fucking dialogue. So, how how did this go down logistically? Like, they drive the Mercedes up to Santa Morte. They get they ditch the Mercedes. They get into this 
this coyote wagon. Mm-hmm. They go across the border, and they have another Mercedes waiting for them. Do they? Right? Did they drive up to the... I, I don't know. Do we have... Do we see them in a Mercedes in the end of the episode? We don't see them, period, at the end of the episode. Last we see them okay, is them you're walking right. they, from the they, explosion. They, yes. Did you just okay. spoil that they get another Mercedes? Because, goddamn, no, I, I just didn't. said we wouldn't do that kind of stuff. No, I have no idea if they get another Mercedes. I thought they did, but I guess not. All right. Um, so Walt drops Junior off at home, but he won't come inside, even though Junior wants him to. And when he gets in, when Junior gets inside, he yells at his mom for not talking to Walt. Marie tries to find out what's going on between Walt and Skyler to uh, little effect. Yeah. Skyler's not giving up anything. And like I said, this is where Walt starts to really become unconscionable and Skyler starts to take a little shine to her because she is... yeah. She's got no support and she's doing what I broadly agree is the right thing. Like if you're, I mean, and she doesn't even know the half of it, what Walt's responsible for. Yeah. Like what is she actually going to tell Marie here? He's got a second cell phone. She has, she suspects things. She has ideas. Well, she could tell him, she could tell him about the money. She could tell him about the cell phone. She could tell him about the, I mean, everything that she's, she's put together. The fact that he lied about going to like, you know, to his mom's house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if she, her deepest darkest fear here is that he's some baron of a weed empire (laughs) so (laughs) if anything she's being charitable to how far Mm -hmm. he sunk but yeah i mean it's uh you know i i don't she could she could give evidence to marie but she can't give a conclusion necessarily what i think is interesting is if we're talking about what a a good person should do she should go right to the police and get an immediate divorce and blow this thing up and get away. She really should. She'd probably go to Hank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact that she doesn't says that there is a a lot of emotion there between her and and uh, Walt. And she really does yeah. care about how... I mean, like I said, the more you think about it, the more sympathetic she becomes. Because what she could do and what she probably should do, what I would advise my friend in this situation to do... Mm-hmm is so much less extreme. She's trying to, and that's kind of Skylar's arc uh, throughout the series so far. She's trying to split the difference between the worst case scenario and the best case scenario that she wants, which is... And it feels like it's backfiring on her already. Well, sure. I mean, it's... Like, if you don't want to destroy your family by saying, hey, your father's a drug dealer, well, you're destroying your family anyway, right? Like... Now they hate you instead of the guy they should hate. I mean, it's kind of a, a dark, it's kind of a flip side mirror to Walt situation, too. I mean, not, I mean, she's not killing people, she's mean? not doing that, but like, mm-hmm. you know, her failure to see and call things as they really are and to try to preserve the illusion of everything being okay, but also ensure her family's safety and all that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the whole Ben Franklin, those who want both free liberty and security <laughs> does, will get neither. Yeah, yeah. Or will sacrifice liberty to accept security will get neither. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of hers. Like, you know, and Walt's the same way. His, you know, series of half measures of being a criminal just winds him in more and more and more trouble. Indeed. So we go to Jesse and he's back with the group counselor. Um, and he's trying to get him to open up a little bit. And when Jesse finally does, he asks if the counselor has ever really hurt anyone, thinking thinking that he's going to sting this guy, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you don't know what real pain is. And then he comes back with a story about Horrifying. killing his daughter. 
and your jaw drops to the floor. And it's not just killing your daughter. It's not the way in which it happens. It, is... Where it's it's entirely because of your addiction. Yeah, and then the things he says about you know that just driving him further into it, and like the self perpetuating cycle that that must be. You really start to see how you know these cycles are difficult to get out of. Yeah, it really made it, it. There's a lot of interesting philosophical and sociological things to ponder about like you know there's oh, yeah. a certain school of thought that's like well, this guy's a piece of shit maybe he deserves to suffer or maybe even <laughs> okay. swallow a gun uh-huh. like you know there's that level of lack of sympathy like you killed an innocent person because of your own uh failures and selfishness and short-sightedness you deserve to suffer uh whereas then, walt would say oh you know the the only i didn't do anything wrong i mean drinking's legal. you shouldn't feel bad it was at an all. accident yeah. And then there's the path that like, okay, assuming that uh a swallowing a shotgun, taking a lead, you know, gargling lead is not the solution, mm-hmm. then having a person being a healthy human being that perhaps can help others before uh, heal before they get to that kind of, you know, depths of problems. Like you can wake yeah, them up yeah. with that before. I know there's a certain amount of nobility to that. Um I think it it's also, you know, the the double-sided coin here though with the thing that he says at the end and kind of leaves Jesse with uh, this, this idea that self-hatred guilt, it accomplishes nothing. It just stands in the way. Well, look how Walt's applying that to his situation, right? He's saying people move on, you know, I, why would I, why would I hate myself? Why would I feel guilty? Well, that's the thing, but, but he's also not accepting who he really is and, that's true. and, yes. and, and having a true change. So it's like, mm-hmm. he is skipping to the, uh, <laughs> peace and security Absolving himself, and, yeah. and being assured in yourself without any of the self introspection and all that kind of things. But yeah, you know, I don't know how the hell you come back from that. I honestly don't. It's Yeah. A lot, probably a lot. Like, of I get the therapy. truth of that. Like, you know, well, that, you know, uh, hating yourself doesn't stop you from drinking, being high, and continuing to being a terrible human being. I get the truth of that, but god damn, I don't know how you run over your daughter. And he went on a vision quest. That. He took a bunch of peyote and went to the desert. I, and I just, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't see. It seems like the tin. How do you keep from having bad days? Like, oh, yeah. I, I imagine he probably still does. But so hey, he's an incredibly strong person and it's kind of inspirational. I'm just saying that like I just don't. That's that's <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the same like when I'm yeah, watching Lone Survivor and I'm seeing these Navy SEALs like just tumbling down these these bare mountain passage and getting bones breaking and then getting up like they got broken fingers and they're still fighting effectively. And I'm like, how the fuck do you just command your meat machinery to keep doing that? Like what is within you that's so strong? I mean, that's the emotional equivalent. Yeah, getting yeah. tossed down a mountainside twice and still fighting for your life. Like <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Yep. Uh Skylar shows up at Walt's new apartment to tell him that she's filing for divorce. And she accuses him of being a drug dealer. And he says, uh, well, uh, yes, but technically I'm a manufacturer first. <laughs> yeah. And then she makes him a deal. She won't tell anyone if he gives her a divorce and stays out of their lives. Not a terrible deal. One that Walt certainly won't accept. Yeah. Right? I mean... Because, it, you know, again... This I do, is a man who feels like he hasn't done much wrong. Because I, I guess I'm still a little sympathetic towards Walt because I don't think his original sin of wanting to... I mean, clearly it wasn't well thought out, but... I think his motive... I, I, I do think that Walt's motives for starting to cook meth were fairly pure. 
I, I agree. That's yes. a controversial statement. Because... I think they were 100% pure. They were purer than the meth that he cooks. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah. if your idea is, as an outsider to the, the drug People are going life, to, I cannot stop people from doing drugs. Yes. What I can do is provide them a pure product that will work as advertised for a fair price. And uh-huh. and why should I have to? Why should there be bloodshed about that? Why that? And and also I'm going to die, and I'm going to deprive my family of my mm-hmm. my love and support. And cost them a lot of money in the process. Yeah. Yes. Like I don't think that that is. I mean, it's a terrible idea that you probably shouldn't go sure. through with. But uh-huh. it's it's kind of ethically checks out. The problem with Walt is, as he kept being confronted with the realities of this not being possible, you can't be this kind of like white hat criminal that, you know, is like the Robin Hood of meth or whatever. It's like it's you, you can't stay clean of the consequences of criminal behavior. No, that's not the kind of life you have to lead. That's where he starts doubling down. It becomes all about him. Yes. It stops becoming about his family pretty quickly and more about his feeling like he's alive now for the first time in forever. I agree with you totally. And th- that's. Walt, though, still has this idea in his head that he's doing this all for his family, right? And his his family is what he loves, and he wants to provide for them. That's the really the really tough thing about the situation he's in. If he accepts this deal and says, okay, don't tell anyone, I'll stay out of your lives, he loses everything that he worked for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all of it is just blows up in his face. Yeah. If he doesn't accept the deal, well, he runs the risk of Skylar saying something. Sure. Uh, telling his kids, telling the police, whatever. I mean, he's he's kind of in a tough spot here now that he's done all this stuff. This is a high-stakes poker tournament for both of them. <laughs> it really is. Because neither of them own a truly winning hand by yeah. their own definitions. And they're trying to bluff they're, each other out. They're essentially trying to make the best, you know, trying to go for the best possible outcome of a series of bad choices. Yeah. And I, I think the way they integrate his eyeball is brilliant. Because Walt keeps picking it up and looking at it, and it's looking back at him and it's judging him. And here he yeah. drops it and it rolls under his bed, <laughs> and it was kind of mirrors his like, okay, I'm turning a blind eye towards all my actions, and I'm not going to admit that I'm the bad guy. the the some, The way they make that work is, I think, pretty brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Uh, then we go to Walt picking up Jesse at the the retreat at the rehab center. And he brings him back to stay at his apartment where Jesse tells him that he's feeling much better. He's done using and he's also the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty ominous stuff coming from Jesse here. You know, you yeah. think, OK, maybe he's maybe he's helped out by the things his counselor is telling him. Well, no, he kind of goes the other direction with it and says, if I'm going to be the bad guy, I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm just going to accept who I am no, and roll with it. We don't know what that means exactly because it could, it could be like I am the bad guy and that's what I am and that's I'm owning everything and then I'm going to be a positive change in the world. Okay. Uh, as a direct opposition because everything that Walt says is an attempt to deflect blame from himself. Yes. I still have your money, but it's with Saul and is waiting there for as soon as you get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm on a break with my with my wife and my family. It's strictly temporary. We're going through a rough patch. We're going to get – all these are fucking lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, have you followed this air crash? I follow, I'm more informed than you, and I'm telling you you're not responsible. It's really the government's problem for having a – Yeah, they're lies, and even worse, they're delusions, right? Yeah. It's really deluded. Completely. Buzz Lightyear type delusions. <laughs> exactly. That's a good comparison. Uh, uh, is 
Jesse a bad guy? Because you, we, I, when his we were, body language tells me yes. But we the were look in his eye when we were watching that. You said, "I don't know if I think that you're the bad guy," and I'm like, ob- "My position is oh, objectively, oh. Ob- mm-hmm. I, I, yeah." We're talking like a metaphysical conversation here. Not what, not what he thinks at the moment. Yeah, I mean, objectively, think. I think Jesse's a bad guy. Yeah. Hmm. Man, seeing him kind of at his best during season two, at certain points in season two, Mm -hmm. makes me feel like I want to root for him to be the good guy. But yeah, I mean, he's a he's a drug dealer. He's hurts people. If he he never met Jane, Jane's still alive. Jane is still sober. Her dad still has a, a daughter and he doesn't go off the deep end and single handedly cause a massive air fatality, which still sticks on my craw. But I, I think, like, again, I'm hmm. talking about object. I'm not talking about what's in his heart. I, that's what's the in thing. His soul. Like, I feel talking, like he has a good heart. Like his, yeah, his heart's will, in the right sure. place for, for the most part. He doesn't want to kill people. He doesn't want to hurt people, but his actions say yeah. something else. Yeah. I think that's why people sympathize. I mean, and, Something I want to talk about. Well, I just in fact I, I can't talk about it without it being a spoiler. So we got lots of stuff to talk about in the spoiler section. But I mean, there's there's the contrast here between Walt and Jesse, and that's a super important point. Walt is completely obfuscating everything, all all of his responsibility here. Yeah. Jesse is just completely acknowledging everything that he is and has come to the conclusion that he's a bad guy. Yeah, no, uh, the- and that that's the fundamental difference is one is just completely ignoring everything. The other is trying to take it in. And they've also we know we talked about this in season two and even season one, how they've had this dance where one of them will be out and the other one drags them back in. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you start to wonder, like, is this. Walt seems like he's the one that wants out and Jesse's saying, I'm the bad guy, depending on how you interpret this. Is this going <laughs> to be a shift in the dance? And now Jesse's going to be driving some of the. You know, it's like I've yeah. fallen this far and I've lost everything. I because at this point, Jesse doesn't have his family. Yeah, he doesn't have his girlfriend. He's he he lost he at have? least one of his friends uh, through his own act combo, which yeah, is what started the whole downward spiral that, that claimed Jane and caused all this. He's at rock bottom. Yeah, what, what else he thinks he have? is rock bottom. So why wouldn't he go out and just embrace this role and be a complete shit? Interesting. So do you think that parallels what Jerry Burns' character was talking about? How, like, after it happened, he just went deeper down the hole? Is that what Jesse's doing here? Well, I mean, you know, Jerry Burns didn't say that, uh, you know, you, you're accepting yourself and it stands in the way of positive change. He says true change. <laughs> so if he's going to, like, you okay. know, if he's always been kind of like this potential, like, you know, he's kind of a, a ne'er-do-well and then he's a juvenile delinquent and then he was a petty mm-hmm. criminal... Uh, he could go just go full on, you know, supervillain mode. Yeah. Or, you know, like another change would be to go on to just be scared straight and go on straight and narrow and mm-hmm. we'll have to see what happens. But, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, season three is really fascinating for Breaking Bad. Like it's the most kind of uh good and evil battle over the souls kind of shades of gray yeah. where, uh, you know, the first two episodes are kind of about two generally good guys that you're rooting for. And then the end of the episode becomes like an, you know, it's just out of control freight train action movie. Yeah. Trying to avoid spoilers. This movie, this, this season is the pivot point. I agree. And as a result, it's got a lot of deep, interesting material. Indeed. Then we go to Walt meeting with Gus 
and he's got an offer for him. Unfortunately, Walt says he's out of the game. And Gus makes him this offer for $3 million for three months of work, which you can see on Walt's face is very tempting. But he does, in fact, turn it down here. Turns it down flat. Yeah. And Gus seems like he's cool with that. He he at this moment, you know, he's he's money rich, he's family poor. Yeah. Uh the money if you could offer him three family members for three months, maybe he'd take that. Right, right. But yeah, the money is not so attractive when you have a duffel bag full of cash. Mm-mm. Half a million dollars in cash is a lot to spend. It is, especially now that his treatment's all paid for and Yeah. Like that. I mean, that's, he got his seven forty seven, right? That's a lot of incidentals and fun money over the course <laughs> of, you know, the next uh huh. So, so many years yeah imagine if he took some of that money and i don't know bought walt jr a pony or something sure. could win him back right then and there yeah yeah <laughs> or a big breakfast a buffet at the pancake house mm-hmm. we go to the desert where the cousins are being coyoted across the border and once they get to texas someone recognizes their boots so they decide you know what let's kill everybody on this truck and blow it up yeah and you know any Anytime you're stuck on a bus or a plane with someone that just won't shut the fuck up, regardless mm-hmm. of how uninterested you are in a conversation, I think it's, you know, these cousins are almost borderline heroic uh-huh. do, for doing what we've <laughs> all thought about doing. You know, just like, I'm fucking murder, And I'm not going to even stop there. I'm murdering everybody just to teach you a lesson. <laughs> and then I'm going to burn this thing down to the ground. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Like, this is a really cool scene. It's badass. And, oh, yeah. And the backstory, which I think we've told on this podcast before, but I'm going to repeat so. in case people are just joining us, um, that this was all like a practical effect. This is not digital trickery. This was not compositing. These guys really got in front of a just ginormous explosion that was actually bigger than I think anyone was planning. Yeah. Because, and I would love to have a drink with Vince and or Brian and ask them, like, were you guys shocked at how big this explosion was? Because you'll notice that debris rains down in front of the brothers, uh-huh. which means that they were not out of the shrapnel zone. Yeah. Like a big plank of wood comes up. They didn't, they had one shot and, and Brian Cranston said, look guys, we only have the one truck. We only have the one set of explosives. If you flinch or whatever, it's going to fuck up the whole scene. So don't flinch. And we uh-huh. talked to Lewis and his brother, Daniel, the Mankata brothers, and they're t- they, they're like psyching themselves up, like you know, brother, this is it. This is you know, it's like we're not going to fucking flinch. We're going to be cool. And then like they just they describe they're really funny when they talk about it. Just this like massive heat and shockwave, <laughs> and shit starts raining down in front of them. They're yeah, like, just keep walking, scene, man. keep walking until they say cut, and it is really. And if you see the making of, mm. they're only like four links of. The, the camera makes it seem like they're right on top of yeah, it. Yeah, they got a zoom lens on it. But if you look at it from the side, they're only like four truck lengths away from this thing when it goes off. Yeah. I, and it's I crazy. Think, I think I read they were 60 feet away from it. Right. That's okay. Not, that's, that's not much. No. For no. a big explosion And again, like I don't know that that was a safe explosion. Didn't seem like it. It was certainly the world's most flammable truck. <laughs> like, it's got big-ass <laughs> gas tanks on the side. It's covered in hay. It's covered it's in It's in draw. the middle of the desert. It's, it's, it's burning hot. You can tell from the orange filter. <laughs> um, yeah. So, that's the other thing. Oh, damn. I think that's that, that might have been... Um, I, I listened to this on the Insider cast. I guess it was stormy the day they showed up to shoot in the desert. Yeah. And maybe the extreme orange filter was a way for them to compensate for that. Yeah, I think I might have, might, might have remembered them saying that. But anyway... 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I have everything you said. Um, That's it. That's the end of the episode. If you ever get shot by a bad guy, mm-hmm. or even, you know, like say you're a, a, a you're Nazi soldier and you got shot by Indiana Jones. Okay. Don't start crawling away from them. Mm, yeah. Just fake you're dead until everyone's gone. They got you when you were at full speed. I, I get it. So. You're out in the middle of the desert and your truck is blown up and all that stuff. You're probably dead <laughs> anyway, but you know when you're absolutely certain dead is when the cousin walks over and shoots you in the head. Uh-huh. So like if you get shot in any kind of situation like that, it's like you know, there's a couple bald move rules. You don't talk to the cops. You always get your lawyer. And if you're mm-hmm. shot, you just play dead. Okay. You tr- you All treat right. bad guys like grizzly bears. You just go limp, play dead. That's an official bald move. Official rule bald move recommendation. And also, if the cartel members come to steal clothes off your clothesline, you just let them have whatever they want. Yes, you probably get a Mercedes. That, that's I think that's the rules. All right, that's it for the episode. Why don't we get into some feedback? We actually have feedback, but it's all in the spoiler section. Oh, well, shit. Uh, you know, and it takes a while to get the feedback pump primed, but if you'd like to help us out with that, again, the address to use is breakinggood.baldmove.com, or you can get on the forums.baldmove.com and uh, leave your feedback there. Okay. Spoiler time. There's a couple things I thought were really interesting. There's this particular shot in front of the White House where the, there's a police line, do not cross, that kind of blows against the yeah. sidewalk and then blows out. And I think they used – they didn't talk about this on Instant Cast, I don't think, but – or not Instant Cast, the Insider Cast. Uh, it looked to me like when I was watching some slow-mos of that is that they had like some fishing line that they're using to drag <laughs> across that to kind of get the shot exactly how they wanted. Uh-huh. Um, again – this isn't this isn't really foreshadowing, and it's not even strip mining the past to make the the present more interesting, which is we've talked okay. about at length of like you know the only season that was ever plotted out was season two. They really didn't have an idea except for very broad terms of where they're going. But having said that, it's pretty grimly ironic to see this police line do not cross thing blow across the White House when we know eventually what happens to it in the end of the the, the series. Sure. Turns into a crime scene. Itself. Turns into a, a, a crime scene and then a skate park ghetto. Yep. <laughs> uh, the eyeball out of the skimmer. I mean, we saw the eyeball last season, but eyeballs become a very significant thematic choice. They kind of move away from later, but in season three and season four, it's all about the plastic eyeballs and the God yep. dies and the Don Eladio's medallion and all that stuff. It's oh, the yeah. eye of judgment. We got deep in on the eye stuff in season four. We sure coverage. as shit did. Uh, let's talk about this episode in particular being the turning point in Jesse's character. Okay. Season one, Jesse, season two, Jesse is all about the comic relief. He's all about the kind of this innocent boy mixed up with this, you know, mentor figure who's browbeating him and corrupting him. I feel like this is the turning point where Jesse has becomes his own agent and starts having his own agenda and starts, the audience starts transferring the sympathy from Walter to Jesse. Like Jesse becomes arguably the main character that everyone's concerned about by the end of the series. Yeah. And it, it's mostly, you know, due to the way that Walt treats Jesse, I think. Yeah. Um, we know that he just constantly manipulates him. And uh, I, I start to feel bad for Jesse in spots. And you think about like how Jesse, from his perspective, he thinks he's at rock bottom. And yeah. you think about how far he's got left to go. 
Like I mean, by the end of the series, he'll be imprisoned by neo Nazis. They'll murder his yeah. daughter, or he'll not his daughter, a, his, in a cage underground, he'll be like caged like an animal. Yeah, he'll be beat like a dog at least three more times. His girlfriend will be murdered right in front of him. His second orphaning. girlfriend murdered. Yeah, and, and orphaning uh, his his girlfriend's uh, son. Yeah, Brock. And, he'll, and he'll Brock be will be poisoned. poisoned by his mentor that he cares about. Like, there is so much further for this guy to fall. He'll end up murdering an innocent, beautiful human. Well, I don't know about innocent, but a beautiful, kind, generous, warm soul of an individual in Gale. Yeah. Uh, he's got so much further to go fall. Indeed. Indeed. It's, it and becomes it the a passion. Gl- it, this is the start of the passion of Jesse, right? Yeah. So it is a glorious spiral. I. I enjoy the ride for sure, even though Jesse does not. And I, you know, this is the this is the this is the transition episode, uh, and I think this is the transition season between, like, there's there's an unmistakable change between old school Breaking Bad, yeah, and late season Breaking Bad. I feel like most of that has to do with Gus, the entrance of Gus as a main villain. It sobered up the show. It got it more serious. Yeah, it's less funny. Mm-hmm. Although it's not, you know, the dark comedy never truly goes away from breaking bad but it's much less prevalent it's more serious it's more intense it's more action oriented and that feels right taking taking the show from you know the mr chips thing to the scarface thing that feels appropriate sure that as we go on we would lose some of the qualities that made us love breaking bad at the beginning while gaining others that are new uh but yeah jesse comes back with a mission he's as you know he does kind of become the bad guy he goes off the deep end a little bit here with uh, just wanting to be the dealer, wanting to be the manufacturer of these drugs, right? Yeah, and which this brings me to my next point of Gus. Okay, I want to have a, a kind of a. I want to see where this discussion goes. I want to throw out something for a, a topic starter. Could Walt really have walked away at this point? That's a really good question. Knowing everything gets... we know about Gus and Gus's arc, because that's something I want to talk about in this too. Would if Gus, you know, when Gus says, enjoy your meal, shakes his hand, is Walt really done? So the cousins are a huge clue to that, right? Yeah. The cousins, we we did a little bit of talking before this and we figured out, we remembered that the cousins are on their way to kill the guy who killed Tuco. Yes. Which is their cousin. Yes. Um, and, And it's at the behest of Hector Salamanca. So we know that Hector knows that Walt was a part of that. Uh, we also know that Walt didn't actually kill Tuco. It was Hank who killed Tuco. Sure. Now, Jesse shot Tuco. <laughs> yeah. Um, Walt was a part of that. So it's conceivable that they, well, we know, we know. They go to Walt's house later on. They're sitting outside his shower waiting for him to get out to kill him. Mike happens to be surveilling the house because they're worried about Skylar and who she's going to talk to and what she's going to do. He yeah. sees this, calls Gus. Gus calls the cartel, says, hey, I need uh-huh. this guy. The cartel calls the cousins and says, we need to meet, and that spares Walt's life. Doesn't that say... That process is already in effect here. And and, and doesn't that tell us that Gus is not going to just let him walk away? Because I, if I he, don't know that it's even Gus who's who's responsible at that point, right? Who is then? Like Hector. Hector's the guy, right? But I'm talking about Killed Tuco. Gus spares Walt's life in the very next episode when the brothers are there to kill him. Mm-hmm. If if he didn't... If, that, if, that's what I mean. The process was, it, to kill Walt is already underway. The, what, what I'm saying is, but Gus is not killing him, but Gus wouldn't spare his life unless 
That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think Gus yeah. would ever let would Walt because yeah, yeah, Gus is hiding in plain sight. Having a guy like Walt, whose brother's a fucking DEA agent, is a huge liability. It is, and if it weren't for Walt's product and how good he is at what he does, he would never have been in this situation in the first place, right? Like Gus wouldn't have taken him in if his meth was seventy eight percent pure. Sure. Let me ask you another question. Is end game Gus the same character as this Gus? I feel like Gus, you know, hmm. next because I think it's it's not next episode. It might be the episode after that where Mike and him are debating like, you know, my because they saved his life and Walt doesn't even fucking know about it. And Mike's like, why don't you just say that the only he says the words to the effect of why don't you just say that the only thing between these guys and an axe to the head is you? Uh-huh. And Gus says, I don't believe that fear is a good motivator of people. Sure. Then box cutter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did they, this, did, they uh, did Vince Gilligan see Giancarlo Esposito's performance and fundamentally change the character of Gus? Uh, if so, is that change believable now that we're going back and retroactively watching it? Because Gus seems like... I- yeah, I, I get what you're saying. So, like, there there is a marked change somewhere along the way with Gus, and it it has to be around the time, if not before, the box cutter incident. Mm-hmm. I I feel like all of that is Walt's fault. Like, without Walt in here being the fly in Gus's ointment, you would have a Gus who is still in control, who still has his operation running exactly how he wants it to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Walt is to Gus like the the guy in this coyote truck is to the cousins right (laughs) he just won't stop he won't fucking stop and he does this to everybody he does Uh, Skyler, jesse mike yeah saul he wears people down so i feel like that's what happens to gus he doesn't change his character necessarily he just can't take it anymore Mm. he can't take it and so he resorts to other means to try to control walt Something he'll understand a little bit better. Thinking about that, I also... Because one of the things we do find out about Gus is that he's got this ulterior motive that he's going out for revenge against the cartel. Yeah, yeah. It's also plausible to say that... I, I mean, I think it's they're, they're these both these theories are a partial answer to the question mm-hmm. um, that, yes, Walt is an asshole and he brings that out on people, but all, uh, even careful, methodical people... But also that as he gets closer to, you know, and Walt is a big component. This high-grade meth that he's cooking himself is a component of this revenge plot. As he gets closer yeah. to getting the, his revenge against the cartel for killing his, you know... A friend, friend, his business partner. His possible lover. Possibly, yeah. Um, that he becomes more the type, you know, that he takes this meek businessman persona that he's been adopting with the cartel and he becomes more Hmm. of the powerful figure that he's always seen himself as. Okay. And he's more of the avenging angel. So that's why he gets more and more ruthless. Yeah. As he gets closer to his goal. That is a big change in his character, Mm -hmm. but I think those are two solid reasons that are driving it. So it's not as out. It's not a betrayal of his character. It's just a change in what we see of his character. Yeah. How we perceive him. Uh, so there might be some debate about whether Gus would let Walt get out at this point. Soon as Walt's, I mean, Walt takes us through the, 
is the offer that you cook for three months, you get three million dollars, and then you're out. Is that a legitimate offer? I can't imagine that being legit. Knowing I mean, where the super lab is, knowing Gus, he knowing knows too much. Gail, at that point. knowing Mike. That's yeah. You, you just can't. You can't have somebody knowing that much about your operation living. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Chris, maybe maybe Gus is sincere because of the whole cancer angle. All right. But if it wasn't for the cancer angle, I still think Walt's worm food. I think so, yeah. Uh, I want to get to a, p- a piece of feedback. Leslie W. sent in. She says, uh, Season 3 is such a jarring start with the cold open of the cousins crawling to the shrine in their shiny suits. I remember the first time, though, being confused as what the hell is going on. Dave Porter's soundscape and the cousin's complete lack of dialogue adds to a heavy-handed sense of foreboding and dread to the initial confusion. Hmm. That's not to say I don't like Dave's work. I do. I'm just saying it immediately tells the audience to watch out for these bad guys. No nuance. When the camera shifts focus to the drawing of Walter White, we at least know who they are after, but we still don't know why. On the whole, the cousin's revenge against Walt as a plot device is not one of the stronger decisions made by the Villa gang. The Salamanca cousins are caricatures. The writers give more depth to Jesse's counselor in one scene than they do to the cousins in seven or eight episodes. I can still ever appreciate how badass mm-hmm. the cousins look at the close of this episode when they did not so much as flinch as when uh, when the truck behind them exploded. Do you agree with Leslie's uh, hypothesis here that the cousins are fundamentally flawed characters? I actually do. I actually, like, as much as I don't have a problem at the end of season two... I kind of started to not like the how how over the top these characters were, how one note, how because everything else in this world feels so you know effortless in a way, like yeah. natural. Not of course it's heightened reality, obviously, but yeah. but they are the ultimate personification of that, right? And mm. I I started to feel a little uneasy with that. And I, you know, like I said, I I have become big fans of Luis and Daniel Mancada, and I don't think any of this is their problem because I think they executed no. the shit out of these characters. And yeah. by the time you get to one minute, you're ready to forgive all this stuff. But oh, yeah. I'll say as a Breaking Bad fan coming right off of the airplane crash, which I was already <laughs> in full, this is bullshit mode. Yep. These guys seem like a shark jumping moment. Because mm-hmm. they are all those things. They are one note. They don't have any dialogue. They're just this epitome of the cheesy action hero movie villain. Um, yeah. And just everything like was engineered to project that image. And that image did not seem like it fit with the Breaking Bad mold that I that I was familiar with and I was digging. And I was thinking, oh, man, this is just terrible. Um, it, it, it's allowed to kind of just coast by though, because of the strength of everything else. And also because the Gus era of the show really elevates this to, I mean, this is the, you know, season two was pretty phenomenal. And then you had to kind of stumble in my mind with the plane wreck. And then you got the cousins, but season three is the launch pad that puts breaking bad on the trajectory that eventually achieves. Yeah. Like, yeah, honestly, you know, the last season of breaking bad was incredible, but it's you could argue that the true high water mark is the duel between Gus and Walt. End of season four. Yeah. Everything else was just a clockwork working out of that the results of that that you know. Yeah, playing out the inevitabilities. Hank needs to find out. Yes, uh, and it was incredible. It was super it was. interesting. Oh yeah. But Walt versus Gus is for the ages, man. And you know we know that Gus wasn't written like that, mm-hmm. and we know it's str- mostly on the strength of Giancarlo's performance that gave. 
convinced the idea that, oh, man, we can make this guy into so much more. You kind of wonder if they'd cast somebody else what Breaking Bad's trajectory would have been like. I feel like a lot of shows are like that. Like get, they did the same thing with Aaron Paul, right? They were like, "Sure, he's going to be gone within a couple of episodes." But I mean, that's another and argument then, for maybe Vince would just make anything work. He had a strong—I mean, he's got a strong writers' point. room. He's got yeah. people passionate. He's got talented professionals, and they were impeccably cast. Like, you know, who the hell thought Hank would turn out to be what he was? Like <laughs> sure. season one, Hank versus uh, you know, in in season or in series, Hank. There's no, there's nobody in this show who doesn't take a journey right. along the way. Maybe Marie is about as close as it gets to not so. Changing. So maybe these aren't happy accidents. These are a direct result of good processes having good results. And occasionally, yeah, yeah. you know, we've we've talked about the quadrant where you can have bad processes to give good results, bad processes to give bad results, good processes for good results, good processes for bad results. Mm-hmm. Good processes can have bad results sometimes. And uh-huh. maybe the plane crash and the cousins as plot devices were symptoms of that but because mm. the underlying processes are good you've got a 99.1 percent success rate yeah and it's like even if you dose this amazing show with kind of one bad element yeah it doesn't really change no. the overall perception of the show right yeah and you contrast that with other shows that constantly change showrunners or they they can't keep a narrative focus those are bad practices that occasionally yeah. can have good results but predictably, they you know they don't. Their batting average is not nearly as high. Sure. So yeah, but I you know again where they get with the cousins is is pretty good, and it leads to one of the most pulse pounding <laughs> minutes in television. Mm-hmm. But you kind of wonder. I I think Vince stylistically wanted them to be these mute killers, but I. I think they could have used more personality. And I think the brothers, the Mankata brothers, are more than capable of 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 imbuing them with that personality. Yeah, it felt like maybe they tried to give us a little personality through the flashbacks that they did. But that really was more servicing Hector, I thought. It was, yeah. I mean, that, that happened themselves. after they were long dead. Yeah. So I agree. That, that was interesting material, but it didn't affect... You know, those little boys had more personality than these guys were allowed to show. Exactly, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know how they could have done it better, and I, I kind of wonder what if Breaking Bad had not had a plane crash and these these um, guys were less conventionally Terminator-style menacing and more uh, colorful yeah. uh, and interesting. Yeah, maybe they needed uh, gloves with skulls on each finger. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that would have made him a little bit better. I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they look they look cool as hell. Sure. And certainly it's easy to f- have fond memories when you're looking back at them because they are an iconic part of the Breaking Bad. You know, and we haven't even got to the most iconic thing. The Chrome Axe yeah. uh, is 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 really bad. Speaking of iconic things, don't don't tell Luis this. Uh-huh. But I wore his jacket. I wore that jacket. That you see on screen. That's true. At one point, we did. There, uh, did he, we get a picture he, of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, we were in. Yeah, <laughs> we were in the green I, room. I snuck in. I snuck into the, the dressing room area, slipped on his coat, took a picture. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Don't tell him. He'll come after me with an axe. You're. You. It's. Yeah. Don't. Good thing no one on the internet's listening to this. Well, it's a spoiler section. They won't, <laughs> they won't listen. <laughs> All right, uh, I think that's it for this week. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, episode 302. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, bye.